This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in His power and love even now as you listen. Thank you guys. Open your Bibles this morning to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians 2 we're going to talk today about being a light in darkness, and this is part of our series on life in the Spirit, and this is a text in which Paul never mentions the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit lurks in and through everything that he is saying in this text, because it's all about growing in Christ, which does not happen without the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit working in us. And so we're going to talk today about uh, being lights in the darkness. And I think this weekend, as we're thinking about our nation, this text is especially appropriate because Paul had planted the church in the city of Philippi, which was a church that was to be a beacon of light in a place that was pretty culturally dark. We see a lot of that in our own culture today. And we are called, as believers, as the church, to be a light in the darkness. So let's take a look at this text. Philippians 2 and verses 12 and following, if you'll follow along with me in your copy of God's Word. Paul says, Therefore, my beloved... As you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights, and the image there is like stars against the blackness of night. In fact, some translations translate it that way, shining as stars in the universe, stars against the the blackness of night, lights in the world, holding fast, or another way you could translate that, maybe even better, is holding forth, okay, holding out, that's the image here, holding forth the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not, did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Let's pray. Father, we pray that as we grow in Christ, that the image of Jesus would more and more be be formed in us. We we know that's ultimately your purpose in our lives, that that you have have chosen us to, to be conformed to the image of your Son, and that as we become more and more like Christ, as we grow in Christ, we're better able to shine for Christ. And we are living in a culture that desperately needs that. They desperately need your people to shine 
because people are in darkness, they're confused, and how desperately lost people in our culture need believers and need the church to be a beacon of light and hope that will guide them to the truth. And so we pray that you would use this text today and by your spirit that you would use it to equip us, to conform us more and more to the image of Christ and to show us the mission that we have been given in our world. We pray for our nation. We pray for our world. We pray for our role within it. And show us that more clearly through your word today. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The great architect Frank Lloyd Wright was known for being very opinionated. And he did not keep his opinions to himself. And from 1934 to 1937, Frank Lloyd Wright was working on what many believe was his ultimate masterpiece. It's a home called Falling Water, just outside of Pittsburgh. But during those years as he was working on Falling Water, sometimes Frank Lloyd Wright would go into the city of Pittsburgh itself, and he was not very impressed with the Pittsburgh of the 1930s, the architecture there. I'm sure that would be different in 2015, because Pittsburgh is now a really lovely downtown, but in the mid-30s, let me tell you, he was not impressed by the architecture in Pittsburgh. And, and one day, uh, Frank Lloyd Wright was being given a, a tour of the Oakland section of Pittsburgh, and they passed by a structure called the Cathedral of Learning, which was relatively new in the 30s. And so they're passing by the Cathedral of Learning. They asked Frank Lloyd Wright what he thought. He said, um, if this is what learning is about, let's all get unlearned. <laughs> Um, not impressed. At one point, city officials asked him to suggest changes to the city, and his suggestion was that they just abandon the city and it would just be cheaper to build a, a new one. Uh, not, not exactly what they expected to, to hear. Well, imagine if you had an architect that was taken into a city that he regarded as sort of an ugly city, and this brilliant architect, instead of abandoning the city, he had the idea that, you know what, let's build a beautiful civic center right in the middle of the city. And this beautiful building is going to be like step one in the renewal that's going to spread to the entire city. And so they got to work. They built uh, lovely gardens and there were fountains there. And this civic center not only had beauty, but it had functionality. And the whole community could see this is going to be a blessing to the entire city. Well, then the architect was taken ill. And he had to be hospitalized and he was, he was separated, physically separated from the work. But he, he would write to encourage those who were doing the building. And he would write and, and, and say, keep up the work, keep up the good work, and remember your purpose. Remember that this is not an ordinary building. Remember that this is just stage one in a renewal that is going to, to spread to the entire city. This building is going to be like a, a beacon. 
that's kind of exactly what Paul is doing in Philippians. Because Paul had planted the church at Philippi, right in the middle of this dark, pagan city. Acts 16 tells us about the planting of the church at Philippi. It was a dark place. Paul was horribly beaten there, illegally beaten, publicly beaten. They went through all kinds of things to, to get the church planted, but it was planted, and now there was this, this flourishing uh, beacon right in the middle of the city, not a, not a building, but a people. God was building a people in the middle of the darkness of Philippi, and this people was to be a beacon that would be the beginning of a transformation of that entire city. Of course, Paul cannot be with them at this point. He is in prison in Rome, and so he's physically separated from them, but he writes to encourage them and to remind them of their great salvation and of their great Savior and the purpose that they have to be lights in the world. And that's what he says here in this text. He says, he says I want you to shine like stars in the middle of the dark culture in which you have been placed as you follow Christ. John says of Jesus in John 1, In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You know, the America of 2015 is a lot like the Philippi of the first century. Philippi was prosperous and powerful. We are prosperous and powerful, and yet we have, we have so much and yet so little at the same time. So little in the way of spiritual vitality. So much cultural confusion and darkness around us. Well, in the midst of this, we are to shine for Christ. So, how do we do that? We can better shine for Christ if we are growing in Christ. This text is all about growth in Christ. First of all, Paul is saying here that we are to work at growing because God is at work in you. Work at your growth in Christ because God is at work in you. What does he say here? He says in verses 12 and 13, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now, Paul begins here in verse 12 by saying, therefore. Whenever we see that word, therefore, we need to look and see what's therefore, because Paul is, whatever Paul is getting ready to say is flowing directly from what he's just said. So what immediately precedes verse 12? What immediately precedes verse 12 is this beautiful, majestic, soaring passage about Jesus that we see in verses 5 through 11. In fact, scholars believe that verses 5 through 11 were probably one of the early 
Christian songs of praise. And when you, you can see that as we, as we look at it. It says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You can see how those words could be put to music, right? This beautiful, beautiful song about who Jesus is. And so Paul is saying here in verse 12, okay, therefore, in light of that, in light of the great Savior that you have, in light of the great salvation that He has given you, therefore, what? Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but more, much more in my absence. Now, you can tell here from the tone in verse 12 that Paul loves these people. They had been a good church. He says, you've always obeyed. You obeyed when I was with you. Now, I want you to do that even more now that I can't physically be with you because you have this, this mission in Philippi that he's going to tell them about. And so um, because you've been called to be a beacon of light, it's imperative that you be growing, that you be obedient. And so you can tell his, his love for them. He says you've been, you've been faithful. Um, and, and notice what he says to them here as he, as he continues to encourage them. He says... Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now that is one of the most misunderstood phrases, not only in the New Testament, but in all the Bible. What does Paul mean when he tells us, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling? Well, before we talk about what it does mean, Let's clarify what it doesn't mean. Okay, let's take a couple of things off the table. First of all, it does not mean that our works somehow contribute to our salvation. It can't mean that. That would fly in the face of everything else that Paul says. I, I could cite dozens of texts here, but we'll just look at a couple. Uh, first of all, in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, Paul says, By grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Again, Romans 3, 23 and 24, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So whatever he means here by work out your own salvation, it can't mean that we somehow con our works somehow contribute to our salvation. Second, it does not mean that God saves us by grace and then just sort of says, okay, you work out the rest. You know, you've been saved by grace through faith. Eh, now the rest is up to you. 
I mean, we've seen in everything that we've been talking about in this series in life and the Spirit that that's the opposite of what actually happens. God not only saves us by His grace, but after He saves us, He says, I'm going to be with you every step of the way. My Spirit is going to fill you and work in you and through you. I'm not going to drop you. You cannot live the Christian life on your own. You have to do that in the strength of the Holy Spirit. Um, and so we know that it, it can't mean that. So what does it mean? What does Paul mean when he says work, work out uh, your salvation? Well, what he's talking about here, it's encouragement. It's encouragement. Because what he's saying here is that God has saved you and he hasn't dropped you. He is with you. He is continuing to work in you. And so, therefore, that should be all the more encouragement for you to be working at growing in Christ because you know that He's at work in you. See, you can't understand, verse 12, work out your own salvation in fear and trembling unless you understand verse 13. For it is God who works in you. Okay? God is at work. In fact, the, the term here for work is energon. It's where we get the word energy. He's saying God is energetically at work in you and through you. So when you understand that, when you understand how heavily invested God is in your spiritual growth, what does that do? Does that, is that an incentive for us to be lazy? No, that's the opposite, right? If we know that God is energetically at work in our lives and in our life together as a faith family, that's all the more reason. That's encouragement for us to know, you know what, God is coming alongside us and, you know, we're, we're, really, we're really joining Him in the work that He's already doing in our lives. It's encouragement, you know, for us to be working at our growth because we know that God is at work in us. I was on a, a ferry one time uh, going across the Straits of Gibraltar and I was sitting beside a gospel worker from North Africa. And we were talking about his work, and he had been working in this North African country for several years. And at this point, there had been very little visible fruit in the ministry, which is often the case in, in Islamic parts of the world. Not, usually, the, the fruit comes slowly. It's not visible at first, and that's, that's the stage that he and his family were in, and he had been arrested multiple times, he'd had rocks thrown at him, and, and so forth, and, and I asked him, I said, man, what keeps you going? What keeps you going? And he pointed me to a passage in, in the book of Acts where the Apostle Paul was, was, had, was trying to evangelize the city of Corinth. And there have been all kinds of discouragements, all kinds of setbacks in Corinth, opposition there, persecution, and so forth. And, and Paul was discouraged. And God came to him in a dream. And Acts 18 tells us about that night. It says, The Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, 
But go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. In other words, God is saying to Paul, don't give up. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep speaking the gospel. Keep loving on people because there are people in this city and you don't know who they are, but I know who they are. And they're, they're mine. And I'm going to call them to myself. I'm going to do that through the proclamation of the gospel. So you just keep proclaiming the gospel. And, and, and you're going to see, I am, I am already at work. I am at work right now. I am at, at work in the hearts of people, preparing them to know me. And so you be encouraged. Keep doing what you're doing. You're going to see it. It's going to happen. Why? Because I'm at work. I'm at work. Now, you could transfer that right over to the issue of of our spiritual growth. You know, I've noticed that in the lives of conscientious Christians, Christians who are really serious about growing in Christ, they love God, they, they want to obey God. I've noticed that, that often you can get discouraged because, you know, we feel like that we're not... We, we feel like we should be, we should be growing more. We, we still struggle with sins in our lives and, and, and we think, hey, you know, I should just be over this. I, I, should, I should be beyond... I should be beyond this sin. And we, we keep struggling with that and we, we struggle with our, with our attitudes and so forth and, and you know, just kind of deep ingrained patterns of, of, uh, of sinful thoughts and, um, you know, and, and, and so forth. And, you know, we just feel like this, you know, this attitude should be better. I should, I should, I should, be, um, I should be further along than what I am. And, and I, I've noticed that Serious, conscientious Christians can just get discouraged uh, because you love God and you so badly, you, you want to obey Him, but, but so often what we experience is Romans 7, right? Where we, you know, we love God, but the very, the very thing we hate is the thing that we do. And, and so we can, get, we can get frustrated. We can get discouraged by what we, we see as our own lack of spiritual growth. Well, in reality, we are growing, okay? Uh, Sometimes we can focus on uh, the aspects of our lives that we wish were better um, and so forth, but in reality, God is at work. We can do that with our church, too. Uh, God God is, is, is at work in all kinds of ways. Are we where we want to be yet? No. But we're under construction, right? We're under construction as individual Christians. We're under construction as a church. God is at work. He's greatly at work. And that's exactly what this text is about. Paul is saying here, look, Christian, be encouraged. No, you are not yet who you want to be, right? None of us has arrived. We're all still in, in process. We've not yet been made perfect. We're not there yet. No, we're not. But neither are you who you used to be. 
before you knew Christ. No, God is working in your life. He is forming you and shaping you and growing you. He is energetically at work in you. Be encouraged, okay? And you be encouraged to to join Him, to be at work, because you know that God is at work in you. That's what he's saying here. He's not going to let you go. He's, uh, Philippians 1.6 says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He is working in your life. It's not going to stop, right? So be encouraged. Be at work and growing because God is at work in you. Second, work at growing Because the world around you is in darkness. He says, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as light in the world. Now, um, he says here in verse 14, do all things without grumbling Paul almost certainly has in mind, as a Jew steeped in the Old Testament, he's thinking here of something that happened in the Old Testament. The only other time that Paul uses the Greek word that's translated as grumbling is in 1 Corinthians 10.10. And there's no doubt about what he's talking about in 1 Corinthians 10.10. He's talking about the grumbling that the Israelites did after the spies came back from the promised land. So what happened there? So 12 spies had been sent into the promised land. Joshua and Caleb were two of them. They come back and they say, Hey, look, this promised land that God has promised to give us, it is flowing with milk and honey. All we have to do is trust God, trust and obey, and let's move out and God's going to give us this land. That was their report. Okay, but the ten other spies gave a different report. They came back, they said, oh yeah, it's a land of milk and honey, all right, but it's also a land of fortified cities and giants, and if we try to take it, we're going to be slaughtered. Well, who did the people believe? Not Joshua and Caleb. And so they grumbled. And Numbers 14 tells us about their grumbling. It says all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, the whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And so, who were they grumbling against? Not just Moses and Aaron or Joshua and Caleb. Ultimately, they were grumbling against God. Grumbling, complaining, whining, where does it come from? Unbelief. It comes from unbelief. It's it's not trusting that God has put us where we are, in our situation, our circumstances. Okay, we don't believe that. We don't believe that God has put us where we are. Okay, we don't believe in the, the promise that God has for our future, so we're not believing Him for today or tomorrow. Um, it's 
it's, it's unbelief. We feel like, I deserve better. It always goes back to a failure to trust in God. Um, it's a lack of contentment. Now, that's something that Paul addresses very explicitly later in Philippians. He says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned to be, in whatever situation I am, to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. You see, verse 13 is not a magic tablet to pump us up, you know. Um, it is it's really the climax of a passage that's talking about contentment. That through the strength of Christ, whatever our circumstances are, we can have a joy and a contentment that transcends our circumstances. Now that's a lot more powerful than the way that verse 13 is often used, isn't it? Okay, it's, it's about contentment. We can find strength in Christ to be content in any and every circumstance in our lives. But see, when we don't trust in God, then we're going to grumble. We're going to complain about our circumstances. And we become, instead of joyful Christians, we become joyless Christians and discontented Christians. And how, what, what impact does that have on the lost people who are around us. And Sheldon Van Auken once said this. He said, the best argument for Christianity is Christians. Their joy, their certainty, their completeness, but the strongest argument against Christianity is also Christians. When they are somber and joyless, when they are self-righteous and smug, then Christianity dies a thousand deaths. Brennan Manning once said this, the single greatest cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, walk out the door, and deny Him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. What our world desperately needs is Christians who are filled with joy because we are looking up to God in faith trusting Him, trusting Him for our circumstances that we are placed in, believing that God is causing all things in our lives to work together for, for our good and for His glory, okay, and trusting Him with tomorrow as well. And when we do that, when we look up to God in faith, then we have a peace. You know, we have a joy that transcends circumstances. And when, at the same time as we're looking up to God in faith, when we're looking out to our neighbor in love, then the world sees something powerfully attractive. They see a beacon of light and hope that is magnetic. That's so much what our world needs. That's what Philippi uh, needed uh, Paul says here uh, in verse 15, uh, he says, you're to be children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Now that's an indictment of the first century Greco-Roman world 
and the city of Philippi. I mean, it was a, it was a twisted place. It was pagan, you know, it was spiritually dark, it was morally dark. I mean, so many of the same issues that we face in our culture today, they were all there in the pagan world of the first century. It, it, was, it was messed up. Paul says, you, you are living in the midst of a crooked generation. The, the word there is scolios. It's where we get the word scoliosis, which is the curvature of the spine. Paul says, you're living in a culture that's it's curved. I mean, it's perverse, it, it's twisted, it's, it's confused. He, and he says, in the midst of that, you are to shine. In the midst of that darkness, you have the opportunity to shine for Christ because light is always greatest where? In the darkest places. You know, there's a point in Lord of the Rings when uh, things are just at their darkest and uh, Sam, the character Sam, says to Frodo, he says, it's like all the great stories, Mr. Frodo, the ones that really mattered, full of darkness and danger they were. And sometimes you didn't know the end, but because how could the end be happy? How could the world go back to the way it was when so much bad had happened? But in the end, it's only a passing thing, this shadow. Even darkness will pass. And when the sun shines, it will shine out all the clearer. Do you see what he's saying there? That, that light, the light of the sun, the light of stars, okay, lights are always brightest in the darkest of places. Paul is saying to these believers in dark Philippi, this is your opportunity this is your opportunity to shine. Okay, this is our opportunity. America, 2015, with all of our issues, this is our opportunity to be the light of Christ in a place where people will increasingly be attracted to light. This is our opportunity to be a, truly a Christian counterculture, as John Stott once said, that is going to hold forth the word of life to people and say, hey, we're holy. this is good news. Okay? Yes, we're all sinners. Something has been done for our sin. Jesus Christ took our sins upon Himself. Death has been defeated. Christ has risen. New possibilities. New life. A new life for you. A whole, a Savior to know. A new way to live. We hold that message forth in love to people. You know, in, during the Great Depression in our country, just about every sector of the economy was going downhill except the movie industry. People went to the movies in the 1930s like never before. Why? Because for a couple of hours, you could escape the difficulty of your life. And it was very interesting the way that those old theaters were constructed because, you know, now in modern movie theaters, the entrances and lobbies, you know, they're very kind of bland, uh, just 
functional utilitarian type spaces. I mean, you know, they're, they're just a space for you to, uh, to get your ticket and uh, get your popcorn and drink and go in. It's just a place you pass through. Not so with these great movie houses of the, the Depression era. Even the entrances and the lobbies were designed to make a moviegoer aware that, hey, you are entering a different world. Right? You can forget about your life for a couple of hours. This is going to breathe. This is a whole new world. So the entrances often had vaulted ceilings. They would have art. They would have very lush tapestries and beautiful fixtures and uniformed ushers. Why? Because they wanted to communicate. You are now entering. Forget your old world, okay? You're now entering a new world, if only for a couple of hours. You know, I think in a way, the Church of Jesus Christ should be like that for people, but not just for a couple of hours, okay? Um, as, as, as we shine for Christ, okay, as people see the, the joy, the peace, the God-given contentment, as they experience love coming from us, okay, as we look up to God in faith and out to our neighbor in love, listen, as we hold forth, the word of life, right? As we hold fast to the gospel and then hold forth the gospel to others. Listen, lost people in our culture, in our dark culture, should, should understand, hey, you know what? There is a Savior and He is the light of the world. That's what we want people to see and experience. We want to shine for Him. Let's pray. Father, we pray that we would do that very thing. That as we grow in Christ, as you continue to form us by the power of your Spirit to be more and more like Jesus, that you would form us as, as individual believers and, and form us corporately as a faith family together um, that is full of the joy and the peace that Jesus gives and the love that He gives. And that as we love others and as our own lives are transformed as we grow in Christ, that, that as Jesus says in Matthew 5, that people will see that and they will give glory not to us, but to You. Lord, may people see your goodness and your love and your beauty as we shine for you. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here today and God's speaking to your heart um, about a decision that you need to make for Him, you know, we would love to, to talk with you and pray with you and come alongside. Uh, we're going to be here during invitation time and after the service uh, today. Um, if you're here today and God's speaking to you and you say, you know, I, I want to be a part of this faith family um, as we shine together for Christ, then we would love to uh, invite you to come so that we can introduce you uh, to our folks as we prepare to do life together. Let's stand together as we sing.
I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin. But I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray. You know, the Bible says this in John 1.12, To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father, and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through His Word, through prayer, and through His people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to Him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where His love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you too. Come to one of our services. We worship at 8.30 and 11 on Sunday mornings. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I can help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.